Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, through to chapter 28, verse 20. If you're looking in this Bible, it's on page 1,000. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? 1,000. Anyway, if you're reading from the other one without the pretty picture on the front, it's page 706. And I'll be reading from my big version, otherwise I won't be able to read anything. So, here we start at um, Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. And uh, welcome to you if you're watching us on the live stream today. It's uh, great to have you with us. Uh, watching in that way, and uh, uh, we uh, trust that uh, we hope that the transmission will go through fine. But uh, isn't this a great day as we uh, come together uh, on this Easter Sunday? Uh, let's uh, pray, and then we'll have a think about God's word. Father, we want to thank you for uh, this uh, wonderful opportunity we have this morning to uh, think more clearly about uh, who Jesus is and what He's done for us. We pray now that um, by your Holy Spirit that you would be working in our minds and our hearts uh, to help us to uh, understand more clearly, uh, but to follow you, to trust in the Lord Jesus and to live our lives uh, with him as our saviour and our king. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. <clears throat> I reckon Easter in Port Macquarie is great, isn't it? It's, it's got it all. Long weekend... Uh, beautiful beaches, uh, the weather, it's looking not too bad outside and we also get to eat yummy chocolate Easter eggs. I picked this one up on the way in and there's some more there on the way out if you want to grab one. Uh, it's a very special time, hold your horses there Benjamin, <laughs> uh, it's a, a very special time um, of joy as we uh, particularly uh, just um, sort of take time to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it truly is a time for rejoicing, isn't it? But what if I were to tell you that um, joy uh, is not the only emotion that um, people should feel at Easter? Uh, what if I said that the resurrection of Jesus should actually cause people to be anxious, uh, even fearful, frightened. And you might say, well, thanks very much, Scott, for ruining what was otherwise a perfectly good long weekend. But, you know, when we check out the very first Easter, uh, the very first Easter Sunday, uh, we see that there actually was a, uh, a cocktail, a mix of emotions. Um, joy, yes, but also fear. Why fear? And what kind of fear? Well, if you'd uh, like to keep your Bibles open uh, at Matthew 27, uh, we discovered that there were two types of fear which people experienced uh, on that very first Easter. The first of which is the fear of what might happen. And this was the fear uh, that was held by uh, the religious authorities, the scribes, the Pharisees, the the elders, this was the fear that was held by those who were the enemies of Jesus. Now, we might think that um, <clears throat> uh, and imagine them at this point in history uh, feeling rather chuffed, feeling rather pleased with themselves 
because uh, for three years Jesus had been a real thorn in their sign or pain in their neck. Jesus had been a real problem for the religious authorities because what did he do? As he taught, he exposed them. He exposed their, um, their pride. He exposed their false religion. He exposed their hypocrisy. And they had been plotting to get rid of him. <laughs> They'd actually been plotting to kill him for some time. And now he's crucified. Now, finally, he is dead. Uh, in fact, um, in, in verses 57 through to 60, if you check this out in your, uh, in your Bibles there, his body is now also entombed. He is inside a tomb. His body's laid out in a tomb. And it's not just any ordinary tomb, by the way. Um, one of the Jewish leaders uh, was a man by the name of Joseph. Um, he came from a town called Arimathea, so he's known as Joseph of Arimathea. And three things we, we know about him. First of all, he was a rich man. Uh, secondly, he was a ruling man. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was one of their leaders. And thirdly, he was actually a believer in the Lord Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. Although... Until now, that last bit of information was, was something which he kind of kept to himself. But now that all changed. Jesus has been crucified. <clears throat> Jesus' dead body is hanging nailed to the cross. And so Joseph of Arimathea approached the Roman governor, Pilate, and asked for some permission he wanted permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross and to then place it in the tomb which he had prepared for himself, a rich man's tomb. Uh, do you know, um, in uh, hundreds of years earlier, in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah had actually foretold, God had foretold, about Jesus, that he would be buried with the rich in his death. How about that? And this is what we see happening. Now, uh, in those days, um, a rich man's tomb was more elaborate than a poor man's tomb. I think it's still the same these days, isn't it? But it's still a tomb. Uh, a rich man's tomb would be, uh, would be cut into the side of a rock face, uh, perhaps uh, in an old quarry would become a, a, a burial ground. Uh, it would be cut into the side of a rock face and uh, it would have a, a small little entrance room which would lead through to a larger room which is where the bodies were laid. And it would be closed. Uh, the tomb would be closed off with a large uh, disc-shaped rock that would be, be rolled uh, into place to cover the entrance uh, to the tomb. It would actually be put on a slope. It would be so that would, to close the tomb, the disc-shaped rock would be rolled downwards, making it easy to close. But what does that do when you need to open it? You've got to push it up. It makes it harder to push up. And the stone uh, was there 
uh, to, to close off the tomb in order to keep out um, animals, of course, but also to keep out people who would be grave robbers, uh, to keep out people who would uh, try to steal um, valuable items, items made of silver and gold and so on, uh, that would sometimes be buried uh, with a rich man. But the religious leaders feared a different kind of grave robber to that. Uh, check out in verse 62. Uh, the next day, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, that's the governor. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Uh, what sort of grave robbers were they worried about? Um, they weren't worried about the kind of grave robbers who would steal silver and gold, were they? They were worried about the kind of grave robbers who would steal the body. Who would do that? Who would steal the body? Well, the disciples of Jesus might. Uh, you see, in Matthew's Gospel, on three occasions, Jesus taught his disciples what would happen to him. And this is what he said. He said, I must go to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem I'll be arrested and I'll be handed over to the authorities and I will be killed. And on the third day I will rise from the dead. Now, do you think the disciples actually were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead? No, they weren't. I mean, that... Um, uh, they didn't pay a great deal of attention to that last bit about what he said about rising from the dead. But guess who did pay attention? It was the religious leaders, his enemies, who paid attention. And they were now worried that the disciples might stage a fake res resurrection. Steal the body, show to the world the empty tomb and claim that Jesus had come back to life. And so they go to the, to the Roman governor, Pilate, to explain this, and, and Pilate then gives approval for them to beef up security, at least until the third day. But why would they be so worried about a fake resurrection? Well... We see it in the words they spoke to Pilate. Have a look at verse 63. In verse 63, what did they call Jesus? How did they describe Jesus? They, they described Jesus as being a deceiver. A deceiver. And then they went on to say, this last deception will be worse than the first. <laughs> 
This last deception will be worse than the first. What was the first deception? It was the claim that Jesus made about himself, that he is God's king. Now, um, in his three years of public ministry, what are the sorts of things which Jesus did? Well, he did some amazing things, didn't he? He he healed the sick. He, He was able to exercise control over wind and waves. Uh, He he raised dead people to life again and he even drove out evil spirits. I mean, who is this man? That's authority, isn't it? That's power. And it started to make some people think, well, maybe he is who he said he is. Maybe he is the ruler over all of creation, God's king. What would seal that claim? Uh, What would seal that claim so that it would be beyond dispute? Well, how about this? How about if he was to die a very cruel and public death at the hands of his enemies to pay for sin, to pay for human sin, and then be raised to life again? I reckon that might clinch it. That's a game changer, isn't it? That's a game changer. And all of those people who had been following him but who were now in grief, who were were now discouraged and who were now uh, just very, very disappointed, uh, well, they'd be re-energised and they they would worship him. Even if the only evidence was an empty tomb, even if they didn't actually see the body, even if it was just a, 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 a rumour that they'd heard, even if the resurrection was just a hoax, they would worship him. And that was their fear, the fear of the religious leaders. So what did they do? Well, they went to the, um, to the tomb. They, they cordoned off the tomb. Um, they sealed it, which probably means that they, uh, they placed a cord across it with an official seal uh, saying, warning people not to enter this tomb. And then they posted a contingent of Roman guards, Roman soldiers, best trained soldiers in the world to guard that tomb. Friends, no one was going to get in and steal that body. They made sure of that. But there was a second type of fear people experienced that very first Easter. Not the fear of what might happen, but rather the fear of what actually did happen. Um, have a look in verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verses 1 to 4. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene... And the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook 
and became like dead men. Well, I can't blame them for that, can you? I mean, I reckon we'd be pretty frightened by that as well, wouldn't we? I mean, Roman soldiers were hardened men of the world, but this, friends, was not of this world. Because it wasn't just the friends of Jesus, Mary and Mary, who visited the tomb. There was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord appeared. And it wasn't just the earth that shook, it was the soldiers who shook as well. The soldiers shook and fainted. They appeared to be as if they were dead. As the angel rolled the stone away, and understand this, he rolled the stone away not to let Jesus out, but to let the first witnesses in because the resurrected Jesus had already miraculously left the tomb. But it wasn't just the soldiers who were afraid. Again, pick it up at verse 5. The angels said to the women, Do not be afraid, which implies that they were afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, uh, when someone we love dies, we grieve. We grieve. And the reason for that is the thing about death. The thing about death is that it's so permanent. It's so final. We can't reverse the loss that we've experienced. That's what grief is. These women would have been in grief. And just imagine the, 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 the mix of emotions that, that they were feeling. It's, it's hard to imagine. They, they had been in grief and now they're experiencing fear and now the news that Jesus has risen, just as he said he would. So then in verse 8, their fear kind of begins to melt. They are afraid, we're told, yet they are filled with Joy, filled with joy. Those religious leaders, they, they said that the, the claim of resurrection would be the worst deception. I take it because, the, because people would start to worship Jesus even if the only evidence was an empty tomb. But now their fear becomes a nightmare. Verse 9, suddenly, as the women who were, were actually rushing then to go and tell the, the other disciples about this, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet. They fell down at his feet. And what did they do? They, they worshipped him. And it's not just an empty tomb. It's no longer just an empty tomb. It's now a living person who they now worship. By the way, for faithful Jews, who is the only person that they would worship? God. 
It was not the disciples who were the real deceivers. You see, think about it this way. What would it take to bribe Roman soldiers to falsely admit that they had fallen to sleep whilst they were on duty? What would it take? Answer? A very large sum of money <laughs> and a promise to smooth it over with their boss. And so in verses 11 through to 15, <clears throat> that's what the religious leaders offered when uh, the soldiers um, came to them and told them exactly what happened, told them the truth. But they agreed for a price to tell this lie. We were all asleep when the disciples came and stole the body. Really? Well, how do you know that if you were all sound asleep? And if that were true, why don't you just go and arrest those thieving disciples and uh, recover the body and that'll sort the matter out? Remember what the religious leaders feared. That the disciples would lie about the body and claim resurrection turns out it is they who lie about the body to deny resurrection. They are the deceivers. And so what are your feelings on Easter Sunday? Uh, you're feeling like you've eaten a little bit too much of chocolate like this? <laughs> is that how you feel? You know, for many of us, we have a, a very good reason for joy because the resurrection of Jesus is actually the proof of the other big Easter event. On Good Friday, we learnt about our sin and Jesus' death. That by dying on the cross, that he paid the penalty which we deserved for our ignoring and rebelling against God. But how can we be sure that his death has achieved that? Think about this. If I were to say to you that um, <clears throat> a couple of days ago I, I went down to the, to the bank, or three days ago I went down to your bank and I, uh, I did a deal and I paid off your mortgage. How do you feel about that? Well, you might be a bit sceptical. <laughs> Uh, you'd be, um, you know, you'd be rejoicing. That would be, you'd be fantastic. But uh, I reckon that before you cancelled your regular mortgage repayments, you might want to ask me for some proof of that, some evidence that that has actually taken place. Someone today might ask, why should I believe? that the death of this Jewish man, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, has actually paid my debt to God, paid for my sin now. What's the proof? The resurrection is the proof. 
You see, uh, Jesus, having died on the cross to pay for sin, having borne the, having taken our sin upon himself, having been declared to be a sinner by God the Father and being cut off from God the Father as the punishment for human sin, having done that, Jesus doesn't need to be continually separated from God the Father in hell. Because as God the Son, his sacrifice once and for all is enough. It is sufficient. It is enough to pay for the sin of any person who trusts in what he has done and decides to live no longer for themselves but for Jesus as their king. Which means forgiveness, it means peace with God forever and a pretty good reason to rejoice, a great reason to rejoice. But what if we don't trust in Jesus? Uh, <clears throat> some people uh, these days, they still try to deny the resurrection. Do you know there are even church leaders who say that the resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection of Jesus, it never happened. They say that, that the, the, the disciples stole the body or that Jesus only looked dead when he was on the cross and he, he recovered uh, when he was in the, in the cool of the tomb and he pushed the rock away and looked like he'd been victorious over death. Um, or resurrection, yeah, we believe in resurrection, uh, not physically, of course, but in a sense that, well, the memory of Jesus and all the good things he taught and his great example just lives on in our hearts. <laughs> things haven't changed since the religious hypocrites on the first Easter. Although for many people, they're not thinking these kind of thoughts, uh, for many people, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, well, it means... Just another long weekend and one with the added benefit of chocolates <laughs> when it should be a reason for fear because the resurrected Jesus has now ascended to God the Father in heaven and one day will come again in judgment. You know, when the Apostle Paul was... Uh, sharing this news, was preaching to non-Christians in the city of Athens, this is how he put it. He said, and I quote in Acts chapter 17, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. The religious leaders feared that People might believe that Jesus had risen. Well, friends, they had no idea of what was coming. <laughs> no idea. Because when the disciples met up with Jesus uh, in verses 15 and following, what did Jesus tell them? Well, in verse 18, he declared the good news which they should be telling everyone, everyone in the whole world, the good news that Jesus is God's king. And that is the news which has travelled 
right across the world and down through the ages. For 2,000 years, countless millions of people from every race, every colour of skin, every language spoken, every nation have trusted in Jesus joyfully and now live with him as their saviour and their king. And this, friends, is news which has come down to us. <laughs> On the other side of the planet, 2,000 years later, it's news which has come to you and to me. So, what's your feeling at Easter? Is it joy or is it fear? If you don't yet trust in Jesus, uh, I want to say that the resurrection should actually be a cause for fear. It should be a cause for you to be afraid. But it doesn't need to stay that way. That fear can melt into joy uh, if you turn back to God. Fear melts to joy and is replaced by joy which is not short term. It's joy which is actually hard to describe. It is inexpressible joy. Not just now at Easter, but forevermore. Have you trusted in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your great plan that your son Jesus would die on the cross, but he would be risen from the dead. We thank you that by this, that our debt for our sin has been paid for, and provenly so. Father, we thank you that because he's risen from the dead, that we can now have forgiveness and hope for the future, hope which is certain. We pray for each one of us here that we, that we would indeed trust in Jesus, that his resurrection would be no cause for fear, but rather a cause for great rejoicing. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.